Hello and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. My name is Margaret Taylor and in this series I'll be investigating how the legal system in the UK is evolving, how COVID-19 has accelerated some developments already in the pipeline and how the opportunity exists for Scotland and the rest of the UK to improve access to justice and create a world-class modern legal system. In this episode we look at how the corporate world is adapting to change and what virtual means for AGMs and shareholder meetings as well as the impact on directors and their duties. Discussing the pros and cons, we'll also consider what lies ahead as we continue to live with a pandemic. I'm joined by Tom Bolton-Jones, a corporate partner specialising in a wide range of corporate law matters, and Emma Greville-Williams, a practice development lawyer in the corporate practice. There's been a spate of good COVID news in the last few weeks, what with various vaccines being developed and starting to be rolled out. But looking back over the year, it's been a year like no other. Um, Tom, could you discuss the impact that COVID and all the restrictions have had on the 2020 AGM season? Sure. So social distancing rules have meant that no meetings of any sort could take place. And annual general meetings were, were no exception to that. So you had boards of directors that were grappling with the dilemma of how they could meet both the requirements to hold an annual general meeting, but also to legitimately pass the resolutions that would need to be passed at those meetings. So we're talking about things like resolutions on the makeup of the board, remuneration of directors, appointment of auditors, uh, approving um, the, the company's accounts. So the government stepped in to pass the Corporate Insolvency and Government Act, and that allowed for for meetings to be held virtually. Uh, And that allowed, effectively, that allowed the AGM season to take place. And so you had this combination of meetings that were purely virtual, um, where there was no physical meeting, and, and what are called hybrid meetings, where you have a combination of a physical meeting and an element taking place online as well. So that, that was hugely helpful for public companies. For private companies, there was probably less of a concern because there's no statutory requirement to have annual general meetings. But there's also a group of, of entities, so things like unincorporated associations, so some but not all charities, clubs like golf clubs, members mm-hmm. of association. The, the rules uh, of the Corporate Insolvency and Government Act didn't apply to those entities. So to a certain extent, they're probably still grappling with the idea and that dilemma of how to pass those resolutions that they are required to pass each year. And just to add to to what Tom was saying, um, obviously the government passed the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act, but that didn't happen until late June. Mm. So there there were a lot of companies, particularly public companies, large listed companies that had had to hold their AGMs uh, before the the legislation came into force. So there were some real concerns about that, Um, partly because there is no agreement amongst uh, corporate lawyers and commentators and companies about whether uh, entirely virtual meetings are actually permitted under the Companies mm-hmm. Act. There's a there's a quirk in the in well it's not a quirk. There's a provision of the of the Act which says that in your notice of meeting you have to state where the place of the meeting. Mm-hmm. And people have been concerned that that precludes uh, virtual meetings. Um, there's also been issues about quorums. Um, people have been nervous about whether you can actually have a virtual quorum. So or do people need to be in the same the same room, uh, as it were. So what what companies 
did, a lot of companies did, was to hold a closed meeting in a physical meeting, which they then said no shareholder could come to, uh, and that they had to use proxy votes so they could form their quorum at a socially dis- at social distance, mm-hmm. but nobody else was allowed to, to be there. And obviously, before the act um, came into force, companies were nervous that the resolutions that have been passed at these meetings might be invalid mm. uh, because of process. But fortunately, the Act is retrospective, and it basically said that any meetings that had been held since the lockdown started in March were everything passed at that meeting was valid. Um, but then, as Tom said, the, the post the Act, uh, companies could hold meetings essentially in whatever way they wanted. The Act gave huge flexibility, mm-hmm. and all that shareholders were allowed to do was to vote. They they weren't allowed to turn up. Um, they weren't allowed, allowed to ask questions, uh, etc. So that um, as there has been a, a variety of meetings, but I think there's a big difference between pre the act and post the act. Hmm. I mean, the ones that were held behind closed doors, did they do anything like record them and stream them on their websites or anything like that? Yeah, some of them some of them did live streaming, um, mm-hmm. some of them recorded them, but there was certainly an issue about about how shareholders could ask questions. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing is that voting at that point, um, people were being uh, essentially told that they had to vote by proxy, but without having had a, an opportunity to hear the directors discussing any of the matters at a meeting. Right, right. So, I mean, would that create issues further down the line if, if votes were taken, if anything was passed? where shareholders further down the line might say, well, actually, I didn't vote on that because I didn't know what what the issue was. So I I think that's probably back to what Emma was saying, that the Act cures those issues Mm -hmm. and it does so retrospectively. Um, When you look at the detail of the Act, you can tell that the focus of it is to make sure that those resolutions could be passed properly. Mm -hmm. And it's very much focused on that aspect of, of general meetings rather than the governance aspects of making sure that the members have the opportunity to raise questions of the directors. So looking at the specifics, under the Act, members don't have the right to attend meetings in, in person. They don't mm-hmm. have the right to participate in the means uh, in, in the meeting by any means other than voting. And when it comes to voting, as Emma says, they can be mandated that that, that right to vote is exercised only through a proxy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can tell that the focus of the government was to make sure that the the whole machinery of corporate governance didn't grind to a halt in terms mm-hmm. of passing those resolutions, but it wasn't necessarily there to engender best practice in corporate governance across the piece. Yeah. Um, and there, that's probably, probably an area where you can distinguish public and private companies, because with public companies, you have a huge raft of corporate governance that underpins the running of those companies so you've got the uk corporate governance code uh, you've got um, you've got rules that, that would apply there with private companies there's less of that body of corporate governance so for some of the larger companies there's things like the the weights corporate governance principles but for the smaller owner managed companies of which there are a vast majority in scotland across the uk mm-hmm. um you're really leaning back on what the statute says itself and there the rules are are quite thin and probably are weighted towards the board to help them make sure that the business of the company that they need to to run it can be addressed rather than as i say the actual holding of the directors to account Mm -hmm. 
So AGMs are a requirement of listed businesses. What, what about smaller private companies that don't have to do that? What, what, what does this mean for them, Tom? Well, although the statutory requirement to hold annual general meetings only applies to public companies, the constitution for some private companies will require them to hold an AGM. Mm. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, then clearly that's relevant to them. But also for the shareholders of private companies, even if there's not an annual general meeting, one of the tools that they have will be to require that a general meeting take place. So shareholders can require directors to call a general meeting to cover specific issues that are of concern to the shareholders. Uh, and that is a very useful tool for, for shareholders of private companies mm-hmm. to, to bring a little bit of pressure to the directors and to make sure that they are um, acting in the way that the, the members consider to be the, the, the interests of the, of the shareholder group as a whole. Uh, now, obviously, businesses had to react like everyone else, just on the hoof. They, they had no option but to, to proceed in wh- whatever way was best amid the, the restrictions. But what what kind of opportunities are, are presented by holding AGMs virtually? I mean, I guess fr- from one point of view, it potentially allows far more shareholders to be there if, if, if it's a large organisation and shareholders are very spread out. And what, what, Tom, what do you think the opportunities are? I think that's right. I think... As we see the end of the tunnel with COVID, everybody's taking stock and trying to work out what benefits we can take from um, from what we've been through. Um, you can see that in terms of working from home. I think with general mm-hmm. meetings, you, you can apply that too. Um, and I think we have proven that general meetings can be held online and that technology is robust enough to, 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 to hold up. Um, when you think of shareholder inclusivity, you think about the barriers that people might have to attend mm-hmm. meetings and geography is an obvious one. Even time is another one. People can't take the time out of their day to attend. And with virtual general meetings, those issues are addressed. So you could have higher attendance numbers. You could have a greater participation across the base of members. Um, you could have lower costs. You could have mm-hmm. less environmental impact. So there's a, a bunch of, of benefits that you could you could get from this. Um, and I think that, that is something useful that we could take forward. I think we just have a challenge to make sure that the benefit of physical meetings are not lost. And in particular, by that, I'm thinking about that point of, again, holding the directors to account and mm-hmm, the directors mm-hmm. being seen to be held to account. It's interesting that you mentioned the environment. Emma, do you think that in terms of sustainability, I mean, it, it's kind of, it's top of, well, when COVID's not top of the agenda, that is kind of top of everyone's agenda. Um, do you think there's an argument that perhaps physical meetings should be a thing of the past or is it is it something that should run in tandem? Oh, that's interesting. Obviously, there is a, a huge um, advantage of you know, no travel, for example, if you've mm. got a, a large shareholder, a shareholder base that's scattered all over the world. The fact that they don't have to jump on an airplane to come to mm. you, AGM is a, is a good thing and can reduce the carbon footprint. Um, but I think there's, a, there's another side to that, which is that obviously sustainability and climate change is becoming increasingly important to companies. So there's an argument that uh, shareholders and, and stakeholders should be able to hold companies to account about mm-hmm. that um, and, and whether having a virtual meeting will reduce the opportunities for shareholders to do that. Um, so there are sort of two two parts to that it's sort of a, t- a tension between that mm-hmm. um, and there's another there's another issue for companies in terms of sustainability when they're looking at meetings and that's that 
a lot of companies still communicate with their their investors by sending them paper copies of everything. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever seen a notice of AGM and an annual report and accounts, which runs to several hundred pages yeah. <laughs> of paper dropping through your um, your letterbox, that's not particularly sustainable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the one of the um, one of the things that shareholder bodies are trying to push for at the moment is to say to companies, try and get all your shareholders to agree to receive everything on email. Um, so when somebody buys a share in the company, then get their email address, get their mm-hmm. consent to communicate with them on email um, and that that would help towards sustainability mm-hmm. certainly in, in meetings and other communications with them. I'm guessing there won't ever actually, well perhaps very far in the future, but I'm, I'm guessing there won't be a situation where the uh, meetings would purely be virtual only. But Tom, if, if it did come to that, would that lock out any individual shareholders? Um, I mean when you go to these meetings it does tend to be more elderly people who who come along to them. Do you think they would be less inclined to take part if they couldn't actually go along? There, there is obviously that concern. I think, however, that from what we have seen, the trend through virtual meetings has actually been to increase shareholder participation. So mm-hmm. taking one example, when you look at the, uh, the Marks and Spencer annual general meeting, um, participation or, or shareholder attendance was up by almost three times. So if the trend is to increase shareholder participation, mm. then that has to be a good thing. I, I take the point that there would be a concern that certain elements of the shareholder base might be excluded. And it'd be interesting to see what the um, retail shareholder, shareholder bodies um, take in terms of a stance on that. Mm-hmm. We could see that um, where companies' articles of association, their, their proposals that those be changed to allow virtual-only meetings, maybe we'll see votes um, against that resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we've not touched on really is the potential for, for hybrid meetings where mm-hmm. maybe you could have the best of both worlds. So you have a physical meeting, but you have shareholders that can also join virtually as well. Um, and perhaps that is the way forward, that you can have the benefits of, of both virtual and physical meetings at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it, the, the answer is as it there needs to be more flexibility in choice that there isn't a one size fits all answer and it very much depends on shareholder base and whether there's a large amount of retail shareholders um, so i think that that directors will want to be able to to tailor their agms and their other engagements with shareholders to suit for example the location of their shareholder base and their the the average attendance because some AGMs have really badly attended physical AGMs in the mm-hmm. past have been very badly attended but on the on the other hand there are some that are there you have a lot of people and people who want to come and challenge the board so I think the answer is it needs to to suit the the company but also its shareholders. Mm-hmm. Now I think something that everyone kind of realized as soon as they were they were homebound is that an awful lot of everyday working life can be carried out via technology. Um, was that the case when it came to these shareholder meetings that, that were able to be held virtually, Emma? What was the technology up to the task? You mentioned uh, the, the vast sheaths of documents that, that got posted out. Did votes have to be posted back that way or was the technology up to the task of, of taking the votes as well? I think m- usually proxy votes are, do have to be mailed. 
Um, mm. There was some concern, I think, during at the start of COVID that the postal system might go down and people were making provision for emailing proxy mm-hmm. votes. But on the whole, the, the traditional route is to fill in a, a hard copy proxy form and send it back unless a company had, had that in, had emailing in place or, already, sort of electronic proxies, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, but in terms of the tech, the voting tech, there is, it seems there's only one provider in the UK at the moment called Lumi, um, and they provide electronic um, AGM voting. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously there's a competitive aspect of that for price, um, which could be, could preclude, preclude smaller companies from using that or companies mm-hmm. that don't. Have I guess that's a gap in the market though, isn't it? So yeah. Someone could set up as a, a competitor. <laughs> Yeah, and I think there's there's a real hope that that this will lead to innovation in the tech sector, and mm-hmm. there'll be there'll be far more competition because there's an obvious gap in the market yeah. for providers of this tech. Um, in terms of the other kinds of video conferencing like Zoom um, mm-hmm. and Teams, I think there are whilst they're great for live streaming an event or people viewing an event, I think there are some concerns, particularly about voting, mm-hmm. um, because if people are voting on a show of hands, then the ca- the person counting the votes needs to be able to see someone. Yeah. Um, and there could be an issue if someone, if a shareholder's tech drops off just at the crucial point. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a concern about that. And also for uh, large, for listed companies who tend to vote on polls rather than shows of hand, um, and they do that with virtual, ha- with handheld machines which yeah. allow people to vote electronically um, and there's, a, there's a, then there's an issue about whether the company would then have to send every single shareholder joining a meeting virtually one of those handhelds so again it could be right. uh, the, the cost could be could be high for the tech mm. but, but I think as you say I think there's a large opportunity for innovation here. Mm-hmm. I mean that's a, an obvious benefit of having an in-person meeting that you you know that the people who, who are there and who want to vote can vote. What, what are the other benefits? I'm thinking in terms of, we, we've mentioned being able to, to corner directors, etc. I mean, how, how important is that for shareholders to be able to do that? I suppose that's much more the softer side of things. So mm. we are all social animals and people talk about the importance of being able to see, people, see the whites of people's eyes. Mm. For directors, just being able to get that sense of understanding the mood of the room that probably goes slightly if if you have a virtual only, only meeting and it's there if you, if you have it physically um discussions could perhaps develop in a more organic and natural way if you're taking place phys- if, if they're taking place physically and and conflict resolution is probably easier to do if everybody's in in the room for all those softer reasons that I've just been talking about Emma what what are your thoughts on that in terms of being able to to speak to directors how how important is that for shareholders I, th- I think for retail um, investors, mm-hmm. it's really important because the institutional investors get uh, plenty of opportunities yeah. to engage with uh, with directors of companies through their investor relations programs. But for retail Im- investors, it's key. And I think one of the one of the interesting points is if you can put a question live direct to the board, it means they don't have a chance to rehearse it or prepare a statement. Yes, so you may get uh, you may get more transparency from the board there. Yeah, I, w- I was going to ask as well. I mean, is is it easier for directors not to have to face people um, in, in person? I mean, I know that there's kind of a, a trend now for if people are, are crossed with someone or if they're not getting the response that they want, they might go onto Twitter or other social media platforms to question them publicly in that sense. But is it easier or is it harder for directors not to have that face-to-face contact in a meeting? 
I think it probably would take some of the stress out of the director's lives if they didn't have to attend these meetings in person. Um, uh -huh. I think the, the risk would be, as Emma suggested, that the events become slightly more stage managed uh, and yeah. it feels a bit more um, like a PR exercise rather than um, genuine engagement. And I guess on, that's on the, the same issues. thing if they're being contacted via social media or email, they can, they can spend time thinking about the response, can't they? Exactly right. Yes. Yeah. But, and, and again, if you were to have a hybrid meeting where you had that combination of, of both elements, then that might be one way to address that. And have there been any specific changes to what's expected of directors, like specifically as a result of the pandemic? Or is it just one of those things that that's kind of it's had to be made up as it's gone along, like like so much else? Or were there any specific rules relating to directors? I think when you consider directors' duties, the duties are, are cast so widely that you don't need to make any, mm -hmm. no specific changes are required. So, for example, the most fundamental director of duty is to promote the success of the company. So there were no changes to the duties, but clearly mm -hmm. the pandemic was a critical factor that the directors had to consider when they were trying to discharge those duties. Mm -hmm. So if you're to take an example, um, consider the decision as to whether or not to put, put staff on, on furlough the directors would have had tensions between, on the one hand, wanting to protect the cash flow and financial position of the company, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, they'd be wanting to consider the reputational risks if they were if they were considered to be taking public money to to bolster their profits. They were wanting to make sure that they'd be looking after their staff and be seen to looking after their staff properly. So. Again, no, no changes as such to directors' duties, but clearly it was high up the list of things that, that the directors had to, to concern themselves with. Mm. Now, as we mentioned previously, vaccinations have been developed. They're going to be started to, started to be rolled out very soon. So it's almost as if the, the end is in sight now and some kind of normality is going to return. Given the experiences of this year and that businesses have seen that some things can be done virtually um, and they can still have have those relationships with shareholders just finally what what do you think the future does hold for those relationships between businesses and investors um well i think i think firstly uh, as tom's mentioned the in terms of directors duties and the different focus that directors were forced to make in the mm. in the critical time during the pandemic i think one of the interesting things will be looking forward to next year's annual general meetings in whatever form they take that shareholders may actually want to be able to question the board much more closely about how they handled the pandemic for example how did they deal with the furlough scheme what kind of um, how did they deal with employees uh, more generally so i think 2021 AGMs are going to be interesting and probably very well attended in whatever form. Um, but more generally, I think moving forward, there is a just uh, there's a general increase in the importance of stakeholders, so much wider body um, than just shareholders. And there's a there's a piece about the value of companies and societies as well as their financial value. Um, in other words, you know what companies' purposes are. Um, and I think that the other thing is there's a growth in sustainable investment. Um, so, for example, asset managers are having a much greater focus on their stewardship duties and their role in the sustainability of companies. Um, so there's much more pressure for companies to take stakeholder interests and, you know, not just shareholder interests into account. And there's an interesting requirement. It's a relatively new requirement for 
public companies and for large private companies to produce what's called a Section 172 statement in their annual reports. And what this does really is to, this statement does is to describe how the directors have had regard to wider stakeholder needs when carrying out their fundamental duty to promote the success of the company. Um, So there's a lot more information on how directors made decisions and what factors they took into account and how they balanced differing stakeholder needs. Um, And that goes hand in glove with a much greater focus on by investors on environmental, social and governance factors, and particularly climate change. So there's a mm-hmm. huge emphasis on on how, how companies are dealing with that, how they're mm-hmm. planning for the future, how they're mitigating risk. Um, so in terms of engagement with share, between shareholders and companies, I sense that there will be a much greater degree of engagement and a much more, a much greater need for companies to account for themselves and for directors to account as to how they took decisions and why. I completely agree with what what Emma was saying there. I think there is a, a trend for companies to realise that one of their greatest assets is their reputation, mm. um, and as more and more reporting requirements come through, so reporting on sexual and racial equality, mm-hmm. reporting on environmental impact. There's all sorts of information out there that goes straight to reputation um, that investors will want to make sure that the board are being seen to do the right thing on those uh, and will be interrogating them on their record on, on such matters. You have been listening to Podcast by Brodies, where some of the country's leading lawyers share their enlightened thinking about the issues and developments impacting the legal sector and what those mean for organisations, businesses and individuals across the various sectors of the UK. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe to Podcast by Brodies on all the main platforms. For more information and insights, visit www.brodies.com.